0: Well, it's great to be with you. And I wonder, as you've been coming to church this morning, I wonder what your greatest need is. I wonder what the greatest need of those who were in this house in Capernaum with Jesus was that day. We can be certain of one thing. Everyone there needed Jesus And just before this, Jesus has started his ministry in the synagogue in Nazareth, where he has read from Isaiah 61. And you'll remember those famous words, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness, for the prisoners. And if over the last 18 months you have felt at times low or downhearted or depleted, lacking in some way or caught in the shadows, then these words are for you. Jesus speaks these words to you this morning. But Jesus doesn't just speak, he acts. Before this, he has been moving through uh, the region. He's been proclaiming the kingdom of God, but also demonstrating the kingdom of God with works of power. His impact has been electric. Jesus sees things that no other human being can see. So what does he see here as he begins to see the roof breaking in as he's teaching this day? Well, first of all, he sees faith. He sees faith. Up until now in the room, he's seen curiosity. He's seen fascination. He's seen possibly even hunger in the crowd. And he's also sensed suspicion from the Pharisees. But now he sees faith. Faith enters the room. And faith makes all the difference. A paralyzed man is coming in faith lowered in faith by his friends descending on this mat. He's desperate to be here. His friends are faithful for his physical healing. That's what they think he wants. But we sense from what follows that actually the man is concerned with something else deep inside. He's carrying a deeper burden, not actually about his physical paralysis. We'll come back to that in a minute. What doesn't Jesus focus on? Well, I love it that he doesn't focus at all on the damage. He doesn't focus at all upon the fact that the house is being wrecked. We hear nothing about the fact of him telling the disciples to pick up the bill later, although one suspects that he does. All that he's interested in is faith. He sees the person who's being carried. And I was talking to somebody in our congregation this week who is suffering from a life-threatening medical condition. And I said to her, how are you feeling? And she said, carried by the saint's faith. Carried by the saint's faith. She feels like she's being held and carried by the prayers of friends saints in this church and when we care for people's souls we've got to find a way of breaking through whatever obstacle is there breaking through any ceiling any wall in order that we can bring them before Jesus and we need to do the same for ourselves because Jesus loves to meet anybody who's breaking through in order to try and get to him. We see that with the woman with the the blood condition. We see it with blind Bartimaeus, many others. And now we see it with this man. And then Jesus sees this man's heart. He sees right inside the man's heart. I don't know if you've ever done one of those visual perception tests where they show you photos and you have to free associate words in which you speak out. I did one of these once, and a picture came up of a miner with his blackened face and his mining helmet. And I said, miner. And then the caption came up underneath the slide, and it said, Emrys Jones, opera singer. Because Emrys Jones was a miner who was a famous opera singer in the 1950s. We misread reality, but Jesus sees the heart. 1 Samuel 6, 17 says, The Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Psalm forty four twenty one 21 says, He knows the secrets of the heart. God knows exactly what is going on in the most secret place in this man's heart. Luke doesn't tell us what the sin is. We're not told if it's anything to do with the man's physical paralysis. But it's there. And before Jesus, before God, the man feels wrong. He just feels wrong. He feels sick in his soul. The Danish philosopher Kierkegaard says, soul sickness as a result of sin is like losing yourself. We lose ourselves. And he said it happens gradually, and it happens invisibly. So when we lose some money, or when we lose a relationship, or when we lose a loved one, or when we lose an arm or a leg, we notice the difference. But with soul sickness, it's happening under the surface, unseen. Perhaps you're just beginning to wake up at the moment to the way that a particular form of thinking or acting has been leading you off God's path. And if so, then Jesus wants you to get before him again today. Because he wants to bless you. So that's what Jesus sees. Now, what does the paralyzed man see? What does he see in the eyes of Jesus? Well, he, he sees friendship. That's the first thing he sees. Jesus says, friend. He says it before he even knows him. Except, of course, he knows him already. He made him. He saw him in his mother's womb. He knows him better than we know ourselves. It's the same for each one of us. Jesus calls you friend. He's your unconditional friend. He says, friend, before he's even forgiven your sins. And in the next passage, just after this one, he's going to be accused of being a friend of sinners. And he says he's completely delighted to be guilty of that charge. In Matthew's account of the scene, Matthew reports Jesus using a different word to the man, technon, and that means my child, my son. And that's the other thing that the man sees in Jesus' eyes. He sees he's being adopted by a loving father. When we come before Jesus' eyes, he he adopts us as his beloved daughter or son. I remember being uh, at a conference of my old church, and uh, it was a summer conference, and there was a particular speaker there, and he gave his talk, and at the end he Invited people to come forward for prayer. And I came forward and he came up to me and he started praying for me and he he gave me some words of knowledge, some revelations which he'd sensed from God. And they were uncannily accurate. And as he prayed, I felt the power of God come. And there were tears and there was healing and there was joy. And afterwards, when I stood outside on this sunny lawn with Jen, my wife, and some friends, Jen just motioned at one point for me to look behind myself. And I, I turned round, and as I turned round, here was this same man right in front of me, looking, it felt as if he was looking right through me and into me. It was supernatural, it was uncanny. And the thought which went through my head was, it's Jesus. I mean, I just had that involuntary thought. It's Jesus, as I looked at his face, because I felt seen and I felt loved. And he invited me to sit down on the bench, and we had a good chat, and I said, why did I feel that with you? Why am I feeling so seen and held and known and loved? And he said, well, I've been up all night, And I've been praying that Jesus would give me his eyes to see deep into people's hearts today so that I can minister to them. And then having seen into the paralytic's heart, Jesus now proclaims the forgiveness of sins. That's the thing the man sees next. And Jesus, of course, he loves to do this as he travels around. He just loves to shower us with his mercy. He forgives Peter, who denies him. He forgives the thief on the cross. He forgives the very people who are condemning him and executing him. He forgives Saul, who's going around slaughtering Christians. Now, maybe you feel like you're hiding from Jesus. Perhaps you're worried that you'll be condemned if you come into his presence. But the thing is, he doesn't look at you like a judge. He's not acting as a judge. In the next scene of Luke's gospel, he tells the Pharisees, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus is announcing here that he is the great physician. Because the truth is, if I'm in front of the eyes of a judge, I inwardly recoil. But I willingly present myself before the eyes of a doctor. That's why I come before him, and that's why everyone's flocking to Jesus here. Jesus opens our eyes to a forgotten face of God, which is the face of the healer. And this is what the paralyzed man sees as he looks into Jesus' eyes at this moment. He sees a good doctor bringing him a remedy. Because Jesus' forgiveness, it sets everything right? It reorders us, and it puts peace back into our soul. A doctor in our congregation described to me this week an event that happened to him many years ago. A young man came to him for a consultation, and the young man worked as a youth pastor at a Baptist church. And he came because he'd been beginning to develop physical symptoms, and he'd actually been off work for months. And the symptoms were um, a kind of... uh, Chest pain on one side, and pins and needles, and dizziness. And as a result of this, he wasn't able to work. And this doctor felt prompted to ask him out of nowhere, but I would suspect, led by the Holy Spirit, this doctor asked him, are you feeling guilty about anything? Imagine that. Imagine being in the GP's surgery, and your GP suddenly says, are you feeling guilty about anything? But anyway, that's what this doctor asked And then it all came out because this young man said that that summer he'd been away on holiday on a Greek island. He'd had a one-night stand. He'd felt remorseful and he'd repented immediately, but ever since he'd felt tarred by shame. And as he felt that shame, these physical symptoms had set in. And my friend advised him to go to a, a trusted elder in his church and to ask that person to to speak absolution for him. Forgiveness of sins and restoration. And that's what this young man did. The physical symptoms cleared up immediately and he returned to work. There is such healing in being forgiven by Jesus. Jesus wants to extend forgiveness today. And he wants particularly to extend it, I think, in one area as well, Where we've got a wrong picture of him, where perhaps we're seeing him as the judge rather than the healer. Because the question is do we believe in this great physician? Do we believe in him? And do we feel safe and trusted in his presence? Do we believe in his divine authority to forgive and to heal? It's not a given. This is the first time in Jesus' ministry that he has declared the forgiveness of sins. And the Pharisees are having none of it. Up until this moment, Jesus has just been a, a new kid on the block, preaching and doing works of wonder. And I think the Pharisees regard it as emperor's new clothes. But this is blasphemy, the forgiving of sins. In the Old Testament, the verb for to pardon or to forgive... It's only ever attributed to one subject, God. Jesus is making a claim here to be God. And we need to regain the shock of this. This is utterly shocking. It's like you and I meet at a party and I offer you a drink and some peanuts and we talk about our respective jobs and then I say, by the way, out of nowhere, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we talk a bit more, and then I say, excuse me, but before I change that CD, can I just say, I forgive your sins. This is the Jesus problem for people. And we too can be Pharisees in our hearts. Christians on the outside, but with unbelief deep inside. There's power to unbelief, just as there is power to faith. But thankfully, Luke tells us there's another power present in the house. He said, and the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to heal the sick. It's like this. Unbelief sits under a ceiling. But the power of the Lord to heal sits under no ceiling. And nor does the power of faith. So let's free ourselves from unbelief today, in Jesus' name. Edgar Trout was a a Methodist lay minister in Plymouth in the 1960s, and he had a remarkable healing ministry. People who I've spoken to who were ministered to by him said, it was like Edgar Trout could see into your heart and unlock your healing. But Trout's ministry actually began with unbelief, What had happened was he'd he'd had an accident and he'd put out his entire back and he was lying immobilized in an upstairs room of his house for months. And then one day, a very elderly, very tall Anglican clergyman came to the front door, came up to his room and said he'd been walking down the high street and he felt God speaking to him telling him to come to Trout's house to pray for healing. And Trout was polite, of course, but told him that actually he didn't need healing, it was just, it was a mechanical problem in his back and it was just gonna take time to heal. And this elderly clergyman pulled himself up to his full height and he pointed out a bony finger at Trout, horizontal on his bed. And he said, are you limiting the power of God. Are you limiting the power of God? And Trout kind of stuttered, no, 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 of course not. And he let this vicar pray for him. And when the vicar left, Trout found that within minutes, he could get out of bed unaided without pain, and walked downstairs to his wife in the kitchen. He was completely healed. And this is what Jesus does. And he wants to do the same again today. Jesus can't prove whether the paralytic sins have been forgiven to anybody. No one can see that. That's the problem. That's why the Pharisees are disputing it. But no one can dispute a paralyzed man getting up and walking and leaving the house. The life of the kingdom is just flooding the room. And I wonder what you feel about physical healing and healing generally. At the ends of our services, we always see healing for the forgiveness of sins. I'd say we often see healing for spiritual, emotional, psychological issues. And we sometimes see physical healing. Sometimes we see no healing at all. But we know this, if we don't pray, nothing happens. And if we do pray, often something happens. And it's what Jesus calls us to do. Healing is a mysterious thing. I spoke this week with Linda, who's a member of our prayer ministry team can't be here this morning and Linda was telling me that this summer she was hiking in the Pyrenees with her husband and another couple and um, they were going on a four-day hike and it was a really hard hike they had heavy backpacks and on the first day of this four-day hike Mary I'll call her Mary the wife of the other couple um, developed a problem a painful knee a really painful knee. And the final two hours of the walk, she literally had to stop every few minutes and sit down and take several minutes to recover. And they were in the middle of nowhere. The nearest road was miles away. It was going to cost thousands of pounds to call out mountain rescue. And the next day, they were due to walk seven hours again with heavy backpacks. And Linda just felt she must pray for mary but the problem was was that she tried to share her faith with mary and her husband before and they'd actually been mildly hostile and they certainly didn't believe in the divinity of jesus anyway linda prayed hard by herself and frankly in desperation she said and the next morning mary said that she'd try walking again and she then walked seven hours with a heavy backpack with absolutely no pain. And it continued like that. And on the third day, Linda had an opportunity to talk about her faith to Mary, who for the first time ever was receptive and asked questions. And that evening, Linda spoke with the couple and said she'd actually been praying for Mary's knee. And they, they showed no open, visible reaction at all. But they both said, They were completely, entirely amazed that Mary had walked pain-free after the first day. And Linda is praying for fresh opportunity to witness to this couple. Jesus is who he says he is. The Son of Man has power to forgive sins and he's got power to heal. Jesus reveals God in this story. And the story tells us that when we're hopeless and desperate, God sees us and he knows our pain and our problems. He speaks to us. He believes in us. His word heals and empowers us. His heart is for the weakest and most vulnerable person before him. And perhaps you feel held back in your life right now, not necessarily even by soul sickness, but just by certain life issues, illness or financial issues or relationship issues. Maybe you're out of work, and it's like you're paralyzed, you're stuck. In our prayer meeting before the service, I just felt there were people here today who've experienced several sorrows in a row. They've just come at you like red buses and you feel stuck in your life because of these sorrows you're carrying. Any of these kind of things can make us feel paralyzed, but God wants our healing and he wants our freedom. And Jesus urges us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to us. So the man saw Jesus, the Pharisees saw Jesus, Do you see Jesus? That's the question. Do you see him? And you can see him in this scene, but you can also see him on the cross where he was paralyzed, like this man, for us. On the cross, Jesus' hands, they were nailed right across the crossbeam. And the nails that the Romans used, they were about six to eight inches long. And they would have gone straight through the hand. They would have severed the central nerve there. And Jesus would have been left with burning pain and then paralysis in his hands. This is what Jesus suffers for us. And then he's lowered into a grave. And of course, after three days, like the paralytic, he stands up, he rises, and he picks up his mat and goes home, goes home to his father in heaven. Healing flows from the cross. The paralytic was just one man healed and saved. But through what Jesus did for us on the cross, how he was paralyzed for us on the cross, the whole of humanity has been saved and healed. This is the day to receive God's healing. I believe Jesus wants you to get up from your bed, any bed that you're on this morning, and to know new life. To leave your mat of ashes behind, leave it on the floor, and stand up tall, wearing a crown of beauty, dressed in a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. At the end of this story, Luke says that the man went home Praising. And if the band would like to come back up now, the man went home praising. And my picture of this is that we're inside the house. The man has just stood up. We're all stunned in silence, in wonder and amazement. And we watch in silence as the man with his map takes those few steps to the main door of the house. And as he gets there, he lifts that mat up and he holds it above his head in joy and triumph to everyone gathered outside. And he declares the praises of God as he returns to his home in that community. Luke adds, everyone, everyone was amazed and gave Praise to God.